See, there is nothing that brings me greater joy than our congregation ministering to each other. I was so thrilled when Christy came up and led us in prayer. And I've been here many times, and I don't even know who are our elected leaders, and I see them only at the congregational meeting. And we had last week Robert coming and leading us in prayer, Christy, and so our elected leaders coming and leading us. When I come here, I have the, our young adults uh, team ushering people in. And even Chris, who was wandering here, you have no idea. He's not just a fist bump guy. Actually, I remember my wife and daughters went to the shepherd's class. It's a class you should check out at least once in a while. And uh, Chris, the guy who did the fist bump, she braided my daughter's hair. That was the whole class. It was such a beautiful, we still have a picture of this. So if anybody wants to get hair braided. And so the, the talent and the, and the way that God has invested into this congregation, oh my goodness, it's so humbling to be even called your pastor and standing here and looking at you. But this is the living temple. This is what I'm going to preach today. As I was walking by, somebody was walking along me and they asked, Pastor Matthew, so what are you going to preach today? I said, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, so are you hiding it? I said, no, I don't have a clue. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm not trying to seek. No, I, I have a clue. But what, <laughs> what I'm saying is that this is, the, this is the sermon today, the living temple. A building without bricks, right? And Lake Avenue has been known for this bricks, this humongous building, this facility that is even bigger than Pasadena Civic Center. That's our address. That's our thing. 393 Lake Avenue. But this is the time the Lord is speaking us to become a living temple. Become a living temple. We minister to each other where God, whatever God has poured into us, you know, we give to each other. And that's why it is not a pastor show. Unfortunately, in American churches, it has become all about the senior pastor, all the people who are performing, the band, the label, and the what, what have you. These are all important, but I'm saying that unless and until, if COVID has, in taught, us, has taught us anything, it is just that. The church has to radically reinvent, it has to reimagine, otherwise there is no way we are going to survive. So this is a wake-up call. Let's say a prayer before we start. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the entity that you are creating among us. We thank you for the organic flow of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the living, breathing temple that you are building in Pasadena and beyond. And thank you for calling us to be part of this movement. Thank you for calling us to be part of your body and help us to manifest the power of the Holy Spirit in our neighborhood, in our universities, wherever offices, wherever you are sending us. Bless us together as we listen from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have a trivia for you. So Christians go to church. Hindus go to temple. Muslims go to mosque. And the Jews go to synagogue. Okay. <laughs> Did you know that synagogue is not a concept that is mentioned in Torah? 
because the Old Testament rule doesn't say anything about synagogue. Synagogue is, technically speaking, is not a biblical concept. Because there is only one place the Jews are requested to go, that is the temple. Actually, the right answer is the Jews go to temple. The temple, you know, the temple is what is in the Torah. You know, that's where all the Jewish people gather. But synagogues are in the Bible. Jesus kind of went to a synagogue because synagogues were evolved out of a, a, a need, a social need at the time. Because Jews, as you probably know, is, has always been a diaspora community. They were scattered all around the world and they lived in different places. So it was practically not possible for them to go to the temple on a weekly basis. So, so they created these communities of gathering and learning. That's what a synagogue is. Synagogue is not a exactly a place of worship if you are really a, an orthodox Jew it is actually a place of gathering and learning because the worship has to happen only in the temple and because the worship is essentially a sacrifice in the Jewish theology unless and until you really offer a sacrifice you have not really worshiped the Lord so they don't really call it worship the way we call it the worship. It is more of a synagogue. It's a place of gathering and learning and community formation. But the real worship happens in the temple, right? And then the, when the Jewish temple was destroyed in AD 70, it became an inevitability because the temple has still not been reconstructed. So uh, now it is essential that they have to have synagogues everywhere uh, and some some Jewish people and particularly in the reformed tradition and they have become a little more progressive to think that well we are not really sure the temple is going to be built again and maybe we don't need the temple anymore so some of the synagogues if you really look at some synagogues are called temple right like you know only some and they're normally from the progressive faction of Jewish people, Reformed Jews and all that. Normally, very conservative Jews will never call their synagogue temple because that's kind of a blasphemy. Because the real temple has to be built in Jerusalem. That is the only temple. But if you are a progressive and Reformed tradition Jews, they call it temple because they don't particularly looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah or there is this... Uh, Jewish temple being built in Jerusalem, they have lost that hope, or that's not part of their theology. Anyway, so that, that's not the point. The point is, the construction of the first ever temple is seen in the book of Exodus, the first commandment, how to build a temple. And in the Exodus story, as they are going along and we are on this journey of following the cloud at this point, and God gave them instruction to build their first temple, right? It's not called a temple. It's called the tabernacle. I'm sure you have heard the word tabernacle. The, the, the tabernacle is nothing but a tent, a tent, right? It's a tent because they are, it's a portable. They cannot build a building with bricks because they are moving, they are still on a journey, so the Lord asked them to build a tabernacle or a tent as a place of worship. So that's where we are going to be today. So can you stand with me one more time for reading of the word? 
I'm going to read from two passages, Exodus chapter 40, 33, 33 to 38, which happen to be the last verses of the book of Exodus. And then I'm also going to read from First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. So this is from Exodus chapter 40, verses 33 to 38. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journey, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. Now from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated here. So at this point in the journey, you see the cloud they were following actually descended from above. And the cloud decided to stay with them. And the cloud comes and dwell among them in that tabernacle. So it's not there in the sky anymore, but it is with them. The cloud is descending. And you will see the same thing in later when Solomon built his temple. The same thing happened. The cloud filled the holy place so that the priests could not even minister. And you can see that metaphor of the cloud as God's presence repeated all over, all over, uh, throughout the narrative of the tabernacle or the temple. So the cloud descended on the tabernacle. Now tabernacle is a very esoteric subject and if you go to YouTube and search for videos of the teachings of tabernacle, oh my goodness, you will get confused <laughs> because there are so many uh, meanings have been attributed to, to the construction of the tabernacle in the, in the theological circle we call typology, which is an interpretation device. Basically, look at every object in the tabernacle and you interpret as something very connected to the New Testament. And, uh, and it, it can be bizarre and it can be meaningful and I'm sure there is an element of truth to it and it is an important device. Typology is an important literary device or, or interpretive device to understand the Old Testament in particular. But um, 
for the purpose of this, you know, I'm not going to go into details, but I, I hope I can show you the picture of the tabernacle just to give you some, okay, here, here it is. So actually it's a very simple uh, building, and in this case it's a tent. So a tabernacle has basically three sections. One, when you enter from, you know, when you enter, you enter into a place called the outer court. And eventually it was known as, when the temple was built, it was also known as the Gentiles' court. That is pretty much where you can come. Anybody can come there and be there. And the first thing you see when you walk in is, is an altar. This is an altar in the, uh, in the tabernacle. It's made of acacia wood and it's covered with brass. And it is in this altar you offer sacrifices of different animals. That's a way of cleansing yourself from all impurities so that you can be in the presence of God. And priest will come, take your sacrifice, and offer it on the altar. And right after the altar, you see a laver, or, or it's like a basin, and you may have to keep that picture a little more so that people can see. Um, so the laver is essentially, after the altar, the priest goes to the laver and where he gets clean, you know, clean himself up before he enters into the, the tent, which is actually called the holy place. It's a holy place. Only the priest and some Levites can enter the holy place. And inside the holy place, the second section is actually very simple. It's furnished very simply. There are three things in that holy place. One is called the table of showbread, which is, you know, essentially there are 12 uh, loaves of bread representing 12 tribes of Israel is kept there on a weekly basis, fresh. And then there is a menorah or a golden lampstand with the seven branches uh, there is always light in there through the menorah. And then the third thing in the holy place is a golden altar. So there, this is a smaller altar, not the one outside where the sacrifices are offered. In the golden altar inside the holy place, there are no sacrifices, but it is only for burning incenses. Right? And so it's made of pure gold. And so that's the, that's the holy place. Then there is a veil that is separating the holy place from the holy of holies, which is inside, where technically nobody is allowed to enter unless you are the, uh, you are the chief priest. And you know some of the stories. That's not important. Inside the holy of holies, you see, basically, there is one thing which is called the Ark of the Covenant, right? In the Ark of the Covenant, there is uh, the tablets of the, of the Ten Commandments, and there is a sample of manna inside, and then there is, uh, uh, I believe, the Aaron's rod, which was later put in there, uh, the, the rod that led them through this. And so there is this things inside the Ark of the Covenant, and it is covered, and the top of that, uh, the top, Part of that Ark of the Covenant is also called Mercy Seat. There are two cherubim, you know, uh, is, is made of pure gold again and facing each other. And they believe that the, the, the glory of the Lord resided there at the Mercy Seat, which is on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's essentially what the tabernacle was all about, including all the seven pieces of furniture inside. 
Now, as they had the tabernacle, as they continued the journey along, and eventually, when the Jewish people became a kingdom under David, and they realized that they need a real temple. <laughs> Technically speaking, God was not particularly keen about building a new temple. Now they said, we, want, we don't want the tents anymore. We want something solid. We want something permanent. We want a building with bricks or stones. Yeah, now we need an identity. It is not just about worship anymore. It's very interesting. If you really study the narrative of the Old Testament, God doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really look like God was particularly keen on building the temple because David was so insistent. God, uh, David was dreaming about building the temple. God didn't even allow him to build the temple, but eventually Solomon built the temple and it was glory of the Lord came and it was all fantastic. And Solomon's temple, which was actually followed the same construction pattern, but it was uh, bigger, it was bigger. Just to give you a comparison, I'll just see, show you a picture. Basically, it's a comparison of the altar of the tabernacle and the altar of Solomon's temple. And the altar of the tabernacle is the small one. Approximately, the dimension is 7.5 feet, 7.5 feet, and 4.5 feet. That was the, taber the tabernacle altar, the size of it. But when Solomon built it, it was 30 feet, 30 feet, and 15 feet. So you can see the majestic and how the whole thing was blown up into, uh, it, it became a bigger, bigger entity. Of course, God asked him to build it that way. So, so that's essentially, but again, a temple and tabernacle are essentially the same in its, in its structure, in, its, uh, in, its, in the way everything was uh, schematically planned, okay? Now, in the Jesus period, uh, the temple that existed was the second temple, and they thought it was such a, such a um, uh, you know, you, you can see in the gospel narrative, the Jewish people were so proud of their, of their temple. And because it became from, it kind of, you can see it, it became, it kind of shifted from a place of worship to a place of national identity. It is the pride and joy of every Jew to say that, look at our temple, how majestic it is, how beautiful it is. It's not so much about the worship anymore. It is more about that building and the beauty of the building. Actually, it's funny, I'll read, you, read some verses. Here is John chapter 2, verses 20. The Jews then said it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? You remember, this is the context where Jesus said, knock down this building, destroy this building. I will build it back in three days. And the Jews immediately say, of course, Jesus was metaphorically speaking about his body. But the Jews immediately say, how dare you talk about our temple? This has been under construction for 46 years. Now, what they are referring to is actually not even the construction of the temple. It is actually a renovation of the temple. Herod became the king, and Herod was kind of a half-Jew. So he wanted to be, he wanted to get, uh, get the voting, the votes or, or, the, uh, or the, the heart of the Jews. And so he knew the best way to do it is to build this temple and make it beautiful and more beautiful. And so he... 
he started a, a, a renovation project of the existing temple at the time. And it started somewhere around uh, BC 19. And this conversation was happening somewhere around AD 27 or somewhere around that. So you can see that 46 period they are talking about is basically a renovation project. They call it a reconstruction of the existing temple. And Herod's temple is actually way more majestic than Solomon's temple, right? So, but they were proud. They were excited about what was happening. And then there is another verse where the disciples themselves were so excited about showing Jesus, look at this beautiful building. Look at our church, right? And this is what they said in Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, uh, sorry, the disciples, see, this is the story. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. <laughs> wonderful stones. Not just the building itself, the stone. Each stone is so perfectly carved and polished and so beautiful and majestic. Jesus, are we proud of this? Oh, Jesus said, and Jesus said to him, do you see this great building? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Jesus said, if your focus shifted from worship to the temple, sermon to the pastor, or <laughs> singing to music, people to programs, oh, you have a major problem. If you're focusing on this building with bricks, I'm telling you, not even one stone will remain, remain here. This was not only metaphorical, it was also a real, physical, real-time prophecy. And as you probably know, the first temple which was built by Solomon was torn down by Babylonians. So here is the dates if you want to know. The first temple built by Solomon was destroyed by Babylonians. 957 is approximately when it was built and it was torn down by 580 in 586 BC by Babylonians. They burned it down. Then it was constructed, you know, the story of Ezra and all that, uh, Serebabel, you know, that's the second time the temple was reconstructed. Uh, almost 70 years later, 515 BC. And this is the temple Jesus is talking about. This is when Jesus lived, you know. And then AD 70, after a few years of Jesus' time, the Romans came and they not only destroyed the temple, which has never been rebuilt after 2,000 years now, they not only destroyed and somebody told Romans that the Jews have buried treasures under their temple, so they made sure that they torn it down Stone by stone, they built, they completely, you know, the Babylonians only burned the temple down. The Romans literally took them brick by brick, stone by stone, because they had the rumor that the Jewish people had buried treasures there. So the prophecy of Jesus at that time literally came to, uh, uh, to, to fruition at that time. So that's where you see both the temples, both the buildings with bricks were torn down because Jesus said, 
the focus is on something else. So what is the real temple? What is the temple? If it is not the tabernacle, if it is not the temple, where do we see the real temple of God? Oh, you see that only in the book of Revelations. The book of Revelation, you see the ultimate tabernacle of God. Yes, Revelation chapter 21, 3, you see. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Behold the tabernacle of God, which is only coming. So all this tabernacle we see in the book of Exodus, and the temple we see in the book of Chronicles and onward, or uh, kings and all, all of this, are nothing but earthly reflections of a heavenly reality. Don't be confused by these physical temples. It is, they are nothing but the earthly reflections of a heavenly reality. The real temple is under construction right now. The real temple is being built right now. It will be unveiled. It will be manifested in the coming kingdom of God. That is the hope and that is the glory that we are looking forward to. And here in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 19 to 22, this construction is very clearly spelt out. Paul says, you, you guys, you, you, okay? You are fellow citizens with the saints and, of, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You and I are the bricks, are the stones with which God is building this heavenly temple which will be manifested in the glorious kingdom that is going to come in the new heaven and new earth. And it continues, now this is interesting, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. It's kind of funny if you watch it. First Paul talks about the holy temple which is being built by all of us, then he talks about individually about each of us as the living stones, which is what we saw in the in the book of First Peter, where Peter called us the living stones. The temple itself is important, but inside this temple is built by living stones, which are us, you and I, and we are also important, in whom you are also being built together into the dwelling of the Spirit. I cannot help but imagine the the metaphor of the, you know, you know what I mean by the Russian nesting doll? The Russian doll, nesting doll. So you have a doll and then you take out the doll. Inside there is another doll, right? That's, that's a nesting doll, I think, predominantly attributed to Russia, I believe. So it's almost like that. The temple of God is built by bricks. Which are these bricks? You and I are the bricks with which God is building this temple. But now when you look inside the bricks, which is us, we are also temples of God. Does that make sense? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16, Paul said, Do you not know 
that you are a temple of God, then the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you are not only stones, you are also temples. Now you are the temples that build the bigger temple. You get the picture of the Russian nesting dolls here, right? And you have this big temple of God, which is built by another smaller temples of God. And that's a majestic building. Now what that the other portion said, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. <laughs> that's what the disciples said to Jesus. That is so true. They, in this majestic new temple of God, not only the temple itself is beautiful, but the stones with which, which, with, with which this is being built are also beautiful. What wonderful stones and what wonderful building. We, you and I, are the living temple of God with which an organic community that is a celestial community that is going to descend in the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and earth. And that and only that is the real temple. That and only that is the real church with capital C. Now, that makes you wonder, so what's the point of coming to church? Is that what Pastor Matthew said? There's no point in coming to church. Why should we go to church? What is the significance of the church? Let me read a verse. This is uh, about the construction of the, uh, the temple at the time of uh, uh, Solomon, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7 says this. The house, which is the temple, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry, and there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. Eh? Be patient. I'll explain why I read this verse. This is a construction part of the... <laughs> unless you're an engineer or a construction manager, you particularly, what in the world does that even mean? Why is it even in the Bible? But it is very, very important. Okay, I want, you, I want you to hear that one more time. The house, which is the temple, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry, and there was neither hammer nor axe nor iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. What it says is, when the temple was built, there were two construction sites, two sites, okay? One, site A. <laughs> site A is where the stones were prepared. This was a quarry from which the stones were carved out, but the stones were prepared, polished there in the quarry, and then they were brought to site B, which was the actual construction site. But the moment it was brought into the construction site, there is no more polishing anywhere. There is no time for polishing. It was so silent. There was no sound of the axe or the tools or the hammer. Nothing was there in the site, construction site B. I can't ima imagine from an engineering perspective, what a this is before 3D rendering and the computer was available. Each stone has to be so cut and perfectly carved before it was brought to the site B because otherwise it will be a lost cause. Because you cannot polish, you cannot even hear a sound in side, side B. It was kind of how 
the tabernacle was also being constructed because tabernacle is a majestic work of, of tapestry. Like in a weaving, it was basically built in a weaver's shop. There is no shop, but weavers were actually weaving in beautiful purple, red, gold, uh, different threads, right? And it was so beautifully made, and they, and they carried it wherever they camped, they basically assembled it. So there is a site of building, and there is a site of assembling. At the assembling site, the weavers went, oh, let's build it again. Let's stitch it again. No, that's not it was built. So site A is where the stones were prepared, and site B is where it was assembled. Now, site A, as you know, you're smart enough where I'm going with it. Site A is where you're sitting. This is site A with this church with small C. This is where God is preparing his stones for his living temple which is going to be built in eternity. And this is the place he wants to build it because many of us think that, oh, you know what? I might be, I may not be the perfect guy, but hey, I'm better than many other people and one day I will die and then I'll become perfect. I'll go to heaven, then I have to be perfect, right? You know, so we have this, somehow we have this notion, once we step into eternity, we somehow become like angels and this, this beautiful, beautiful person that I was never been on earth. No, that's not how the theology of the Bible works. The bricks will be used as is in site B. Whatever perfection you achieved in site A, that's the way it is being to be used in site B. If you are like a, like a never polished, a, a, you know, a, a small a stone which was not really gone through the polishing process, you will be used in site B to fill some holes, right? Or some gravel, you know, you are the masons and the builders, you know what I'm talking about. But if at the site A, you were so polished, polished so well in site B, in the construction site, you will be used to build that majestic dome on the top. Because for that, he needs a polished stone. So don't be delusional. However, whatever you were here on earth, your same disposition is somehow being transferred to site B. Because believe me, there is no time for building in site B. Side B, you are, there is no sound is going to come out. So you are going to be built as is in that construction site. So I want you to know that church you are sitting right here, church with small c, is a construction site. Okay? You might hear some noises here. You might see dust flying around here. You might hear a lot of, hear about a lot of problems and all that. If you think that you came to a place where many people come to church, you know what? I want to go to a place where I can sit, contemplate, meditate, and enjoy the presence of God. Uh, <laughs> good intention. <laughs> you might have come to a wrong place. <laughs> this is a construction site. Okay. And the Holy Spirit is standing here with a chisel and a hammer, okay? You can come as you are. We welcome you. But you are not going to live as you are. You are going to live as you should be, right? So I want you to be very, very clear. For, clear. 
If you are a first comer, newcomer to the church, looking for that peace and quietness, of course we will give that to you. But ultimately, this is a place God wants to shape you. And it is a hard job. And we are going to bump into each other. We are going to, we are going to do some rough and tight job on each other because that is the only way we can be polished. Actually, I am getting paid to offend you every Sunday. <laughs> that is the job. That is the job of the pastor because that's what the chiseling process works. The chisel and hammer is going to offend you. It is going to shape you. And it is also a shaping process for me and you, all of us, because that is the way this heavenly temple is being built. You know, the living temp building a temple, I, I would like to go on and on and on on this, but you know, as a builder, I always try to, I'm not as, as a builder, but you know, I wonder how it is to be building a temple or a house with living stones. See, building a temple with the actual stones is hard enough. What if, just imagine in your mind, imagine how it is like building a house with stones who are actually living. Okay? So the tabernacle was built with threads and the temple was built with stones, but the new Church, the, the church, the temple of the Lord is built with human souls which are living, which has its own free will. Each temple, each brick has its own mind. It has its own soul. They are each living. And how it is like, you know, the builder, build, the builder put three stones, one stone, second stone, and third stone. And then he goes to take the fourth stone that the three stones are already quarreling each other. Right? <laughs> The third stone thought that he was not treated properly by the first two stones, and he started another building on the side. And then the first two stones are building a committee to solve this problem. Can you imagine? <laughs> see, that's, see, that's such a hard job to build a building with living stones. But I want you to know that we are called to be built not on a physical building, not on the foundation of some pastors, or not also on the foundation of our 125 years of heritage and history, but we are called to be built on the cornerstone who was Jesus, who was rejected by men. So if you are looking for approval, if you are looking for to, to please everybody and to be applauded by everybody, and we, you are not in the wrong, you are in the wrong building. This building was built by the cornerstone who was rejected by people. And the Psalms said, the stone that builders rejected became the cornerstone. And he has called us to be built along with him. So I invite you to this, to become part of this greatest construction project the cosmos has ever seen. We are in site A, but I'm promising you there is a site B that is coming. God is looking for all kinds of stones, 
all kinds of texture, all kinds of strength. It doesn't matter how you are. It doesn't matter who you are. God can use you. The Holy Spirit is standing here with his hammer and chisel. And all he needs is your willingness. Not your beauty, not your knowledge, not your experience. But God can shape you because even if the world has rejected you, he has called you to be part of a building that is built by the one who was rejected by everyone still became the cornerstone. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for building this eternal temple in our locality. And thank you for inviting us to this construction site, oh Lord. And we are not the perfect people. You, you go around in Pasadena. There are so many people smarter than us, so many people who are wealthier than us, they're, they're better looking than us. But you somehow, for your grace or your mercy, you chose us. So here we are, completely surrendering to you, O oh Lord. Completely being obedient to the sound of your chisel and hammer. However uncomfortable it is going to make us, we are committing ourselves to be living stones in your hand to be shaped and polished by you. Build us together as a community. In Jesus' name, amen.